Well, open up your Bibles to Revelation, or not Revelation, rather, Jude. Jude, verses 24 through 25. We talked two weeks ago about the, the power against persecution. I want to preach this morning on the power for the persecuted, which uh, I continue to tell Clark, he just blesses my soul. That first song, I've never seen this in our, in our hymnal before, but at the very bottom of number 333, it says, The last stanza of this song was penciled on the wall of a narrow room of an asylum by a man said to have been demented. The profound lines were discovered after his death. Talk about power for the persecuted. This man knew what the title of the song is. He knew the love of God. He knew John 3.16, which is the reference verse for that song, but he knew it so intimately, he ascribed it to the walls. Uh, while they said he was demented, he was crazy for God. What, a, what an amazing thing. Uh, and what an amazing tie to this subject. Verses 24 and 25 of Jude, there's only one chapter. Verse 24 and 25, Jude writes, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Let me read that again. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we read these words from Jude, let us recognize that not only are you able, not only are you willing, but you've also promised to present us faultless. Without bruises and scrapes and bandages covering our sinful nature, we appear perfect. We appear as Christ Jesus himself, and we thank you, Father, for your plan of salvation, for your plan of deliverance, for the uh, the committing of the plan, for the fulfilling of the plan, and for uh, the opportunity that we have here this day to, to speak of the hope that we have, even as we're being persecuted by those who prefer darkness rather than light. We thank you, Father, again, for those who are here. We ask, Father, your blessing upon the word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jude closes his letter, he shows reverence to God reverence to God, and he edifies the reader once more by giving attention to the fact that God is able. Whatever impossible circumstances you feel that you have been oppressed by or that you find yourself dwelling in, God is able. What is it that he's overcome that you could possibly present to him? In John 16, at the end, he says he's overcome the world. There is nothing you can present that he hasn't already overcome. There is nothing that you can present that if you are his, he's not willing to overcome. As Steve referenced this morning, he left behind the 90 and 9 for the one that was lost. He didn't forsake the 99 as though they were lost because he went after the one. But the one was that important, that precious, that valuable. It completed the set, as we might say today. He wasn't going to be without it. The glorious truth of promise perpetuity is ringing in the words here. It rang in the Sunday school lesson. It rang in the songs, and it rings here in Jude 24 and 25. Though doubters might proclaim, how could this be? How could I be kept? I still sin. Indeed you do. Indeed I do. We so quickly forsake this gift of repentance, do we not? He, we're not owed that. We're not owed the opportunity to repent. We're not owed the opportunity of a mediator. We're not owed the opportunity to be heard by God the Father. But to our doubter friends, Jude simply says God is able. He's not looking for an argument. He's stating a fact. God is able. Persecution for the truly born-again believer is unavoidable. As it says in John 3, 19-21, as we referenced two weeks ago, this is the condemnation, Jesus says, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I, I, again, regret that I don't remember if it's in part one or part two of Brother Ames's uh, writing that I put in the bulletin today, but he, he goes into a little bit of an explanation of what that ETH means at the end of these words. I think it was the first part. And it means, a, Rebecca says it is, it means a continuing. 
So listen to this last verse again. But he that doeth truth cometh, cometh to the light. We see repentance in that very same verse. Why? Because God is able. Oh no, I woke up and I sinned again. Oh no, I forsook the Lord. I didn't pray. I didn't go through a devotion uh, and, and tell, the, tell Satan to get thee behind thee. I, I didn't tell him not today. And now I've overcome. I've been vexed by the world. God is able, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. That means his deeds, his actions, his sinfulness, made manifest, made clear, made apparent. If we were to ask those why they don't attend church, it's because they don't want their deeds manifest. It's because they don't want to see those things. But not our friends, right? They're, they're good friends. They're holy friends. They are completely righteous and perfect friends. They would certainly never have sin in their lives. Well, not only your friends, you. Not only your friends, but you. What keeps you from serving as you should? You don't want your deeds man manifest. You're imperfect. Well, beloved, I have a confession to make. I'm imperfect. I have a responsibility to deliver and preach the word of God. A lot. But I'm imperfect. So what do you do, pastor? I repent a lot. A lot. And my kids have discovered that since we've added our fam to our family devotions, we go around the room saying what we're thankful for, and then we go back around the room and say what we're sorry about, what we're repentant of. And there's never been a day where any of the five of us didn't have something that we were thankful for or repentant of. And we're never going to run out. We are never going to run out. But thank the Lord, He is able. And thank the Lord, He is willing. And thank the Lord, He aims to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Uh, boy, if I had to work that hard to keep somebody clean, I probably wouldn't have exceeding joy on top of it. But that's what we see Jude speak of here. Exceeding joy, exceeding power, exceeding perpetuity. All of this is God. It's not you. He's not a better version of you. He's God. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have persecution. In the world, you're going to have suffering. You're going to experience cancer. You're going to experience a miscarriage. You're going to have loved ones who have had divorces or lost spouses. And for many of us, it's been in the last year or two that we've gone through all of these things. You're going to bury loved ones. Maybe they're going to bury you. In this life, we're going to have death because of sin. This is a fallen world, a fallen creation. We receive persecution not because of anything we have done, but because we have been called of God. Turn in your Bibles to John 15, verse 15. It says, Lord speaking here, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me. Uh-oh. Pastor said that this morning, didn't he? We don't choose him. He chose us. He ordained us. That ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And that whatsoever... Ye shall ask of, my, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they have known that because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had they had not had sin, but now they had no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send, which is what I look to speak on here this morning, he says, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness 
because ye have been with me from the beginning. This is an aid to me. What the Lord writes here in John 15, this is an aid to me. This imperfect sinner before you that has to repent constantly. This is an aid to me. Because I'm not saved by my works, lest I should boast. And I'm not kept by my works, lest I should perish. And I certainly am not persecuted for my works. If my works didn't save me, and my works don't keep me, then I shouldn't think so highly of myself to think, well, they're persecuting me because of that sermon I preached. They're persecuting me because of the stance I take. Well, yeah, it is the stance you take, but it's the God that calls for you to stand. The God that made you able to stand. If I have done any good, it is because I am but a branch from the true vine that is Jesus Christ. He's elected to work through me. I didn't force him to use me. We can rejoice for we are blessed as we're called to in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We talked last time of Stephen as he addressed the crowd that uh, was brought together under collusion, sneakily, to literally see him suffer, to, to see him squirm. But what does he say unto them? He speaks of their hard hearts, and he says, What prophets before me, what prophets of God have you not persecuted? Have you not killed? Have you not sought to humiliate? Why would we in 2022 expect any different? I couldn't possibly go door to door. I couldn't possibly talk to my coworkers about God. I couldn't possibly be faithful to God because this world hates Christians. That's not new. The world has always hated Christ. The world has rejected Christ. Why do our politicians stand for abortion? Because against abortion is a godly principle and they don't like god it's hard for us to conceive of such evil and wickedness but in genesis 6 which are the times that we're headed at right back into we read that man's imaginations are only evil continually that there's no limit to how evil and how wicked man truly is Matter of fact, the only limit, the only end, the only uh, cap to all of our wickedness is the judgment of God. And that doesn't, that's not a fear of judgment of God that stops us from being wicked. It is the judgment of God that literally ceases our ability to continue to strive in wickedness, which we'll see in the coming months. Think of the apostles. As they were chased from the temple for teaching in Acts chapter 5, they were eventually locked up and placed on trial. And Gamaliel speaks to the council in verses 38 and 39. He says, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if, the, if this council or if uh, this work be of men, it will come to nothing. It will come to naught. It will be ineffective. It will do nothing for the cause of God. But, but, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply or by circumstance ye be found even to fight against God. Oh, beloved, there's a most comforting truth revealed in these words presented by Gamaliel to a council that wanted nothing to do with God. They used God as a reason for their stance, but he wasn't truly the motivation behind it. For those whom faithfully serve, the Lord stands with his sword drawn, as we read in Joshua chapter 5. His sword drawn, ready to do battle. He says, Jericho is yours. It's as though Christ says, proceed with his sword in hand. What was, what was Joshua's stature at that point? If you recall, he's on his knees. He's unarmed. He even says to Jesus, if you're an enemy, I'm done. Are you good or are you bad? Are you for or against? This is Joshua. While Moses' arms were lifted up, it was Joshua fighting the battle. Joshua, victorious on the battlefield, he knew fighting, as we've said before. He knew he wasn't going to get to a weapon before this soldier, this being standing above him, could slay him. And Jesus says, proceed. Jesus, the captain of the host, our redeemer, who is able, willing, to do exceeding and above all that we could even think, hope, or ask for. 
stands and fights for us. Listen to how Acts 5 ends in verses 41 and 42. And they, the disciples, the apostles, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple where they were chased out at least twice in this chapter, and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. What an encouragement it would be to us if we, uh, wherever it is we're most frightened to go and give the gospel, if we did it just once. And somebody chased after us and said, Sister Jen, I have another question. Would you pray with me? Well, I imagine Jim would come back at lunch on Sunday and say, it works. It works. I can't tell you how many times Clark and I have talked about coworkers. That no, they don't traverse all the way down to Mantashi to be members. That's not what it's about. But they know Clark's a prayer. They know that Isaac will put him on the prayer request list. Though we don't understand how God works, we must understand he is able. We wouldn't still be here. The church would not still be here if there weren't still lost souls that needed to be saved. Beloved, I'm in a hurry to go home. It's 5.02 on the sovereign calendar on a Friday. I'm ready to go home. I don't believe we're all carrying our weight. I don't believe I'm carrying my weight. Let's get the work done so we can go home. So that at the sound of the whistle, which be the trumpet, we can leave. Turn on the evening news tonight and tell me what you're staying here for. There's nothing except delivering the gospel. There's no piece of steel that Steve has to craft into something mighty that's keeping him here. Now, I make light of that. It's probably pretty funny to you, but it's not false. We are only here because the commission's not done. I'm only here because somebody took the commission seriously and gave me the gospel. When they didn't know me, they didn't have a reason to care about me, but they loved me enough to tell me about Jesus. It's now 5.03. We're still here on a Friday. I bet Toyota workers don't love that when the whistle doesn't blow. I remember working at Honda in high school. And when the line kept on going, it was very clear. We didn't meet our mark, and we had to keep working. And nobody enjoyed it. We all wait for the line to stop. We right now wait for the Lord Jesus to come, to call us into the air. And we can't prophesy when it will be. But the fact that it hasn't come means we're not done. We're not merely waiting. We're called to be waiting and working and watching. We're called to keep working. We're called to keep going to the fields. What I hope to convey to you today is the power that we find when we are against persecution in God's name and how we are to use it. First, the power for the watching. Uh, and we've read this recently, so I will just make reference to it. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see Elisha and the servant and the armies of Israel being oppressed and being attacked by the king of Syria. And it's made clear in 2 Kings chapter 5, this has been going on for a while. Syria wants to crush his enemy. Syria has no other goals really laid out in 2 Kings 5 and 6 except to crush Israel. And yet every time the king lays out a battle plan or an attack plan, it's thwarted as though the enemy sees those plans, as though it's being tweeted out on the internet and the Israelites see it and say, well, it's time to scurry. The king says, how do they know? Is there a traitor in my midst? And one of his, and, and I, I have yet to, maybe Steve can enlighten me, but I have yet to figure out how there was faith in Syria in one soldier to say, they have a man of God. I mean, think of the implications of that. Not just that a man of God is thwarting every move, but that a soldier in the, king's, the enemy king's army has enough faith to say they clearly have a man of God. Maybe his name is Gamaliel. Because that's what we see in Acts 5. Gamaliel doesn't have some heritage or, or some testimony for us to celebrate. He simply says it's, if it's of God, or if they have a man of God, we have no chance. Psalm 25, verses 12 through 22 says, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. 
His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. Oh, I wish we could say that today. For he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. As the enemy surrounds the camp with horses and angry chariots, Elisha's servant says in 2 Kings 6.15, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Because even though the plans were thwarted, at some point the Lord permitted the armies to surround the camp. Elisha being within and the servant being next to him, how are we going to get out of this? What are we going to do? Oh, if Biden is elected again, what hope is there? I'm sure none of you have said it, but I bet you've heard it. I bet you've thought it. As if God is just you know, minuscule, a little, bit, a little bit better than Biden. God is able. God's not afraid of Biden. He's not afraid of our politics. He's not afraid of our policies. He's not afraid of our personal opinions. Our thoughts on a better plan for atonement, they don't even cross his mind because he's infinitely holy. Your concern over finding another way, he's not going to make one for you. Why? He's better than you. He's bigger than me. He created all things and one way. One way to the kingdom. You must be born again. And for those who are born again, you have one great and mighty commandment, and that is be faithful to God. If you're saved, join the church. Well, what are the perks and the benefits? We don't have 401ks. Not for the, the bookstore workers, the editor of the paper, the pastor of the paper. We don't have discounts. Right there. Most people have left. We don't have uh, once a month parties. But we also don't force our members to clean highways, pick up trash. We don't really force our members to mow the grass. Typically that's taken care of by those who volunteer to do so. But if you're saved, you should be faithful. And if you're not faithful, you're probably not saved. I can't believe he said that. Let me go a step further. If you think yourself to be saved, and you think yourself to be faithful, and you're not here when the doors open, you're probably wrong too. Your love for the Lord should dictate whether you're here or not. Not what I preach, not who might be here, not whether your precious little sensibilities will be offended. They will be offended here. Because they always contradict God's word. My precious little sensibilities, even this very moment, are being crushed by the weight of the holiness of God. I don't care what your theories are for when Christ's coming. I don't care for your excuses for not being here. God's word says, look to him. God's word says, be faithful to him. You're not being faithful to me, coming or not coming. And it's not that I don't care. I want you here. I want you to tithe. I want you to join. I want you to be saved. And I can do nothing across the board for any of those concerns except preach the truth. The truth will save you. The truth will set you free. The truth reveals he who is most deserving of your love. As Steve said today, I think it was Acts 17, all must repent. The fact that your daddy did doesn't clear you. The fact that your mama did doesn't take care of your need. You'll burn in hell. You might have a faithful mother who ties way more than 10%. I couldn't tell you how many grandmothers in my lineage lit so many candles. Catholics, after all. 
But if I wasn't born again, I was going to burn in hell. There was no candle, no little tiny candle from Rome that was going to save me. There was no faithfulness of my grandparents or so on and so forth that was going to save me. Your thoughts and illusions of what you know and don't know will not cover the fact that you've been unfaithful to God. Thou art the man, Nathan said. David could have said, I'm the king. How dare you speak to me? My sins are my business. I bet we've said that. My sins are my concern. I don't answer to you. Nathan wasn't looking for David to answer to him, was he? Nathan was given a message of God. Tell David he's the man. You go and read what Nathan told David. You think Nathan wasn't quaking in his boots? This great soldier who slayed so many enemies, so many more than even Saul himself. I got to go before him and call him out for his sin? Nathan loved God far more than he loved himself. Nathan loved God far more than he loved the king, his earthly king. Beloved, he probably didn't feel that way when it screamed from a pulpit. But I love God way more, way more than I love your precious feelings. I'd rather you be hurt and leave and find out just what is outside those doors than for you to continue on in sin. I'd rather you be heard and say, boy, those Anabaptists, they're no fun. And go out in the world and find out the definition of fun. It will cost you dearly every time. It'd be my hope like Paul's that you be uh, every bit as much caught up in the will of the Lord, in the love of the Lord. But I can't give it to you, and you won't find it if you're not here. This servant says, Alas, my master, how shall we do? This is a servant unto Elisha. He's probably like Gehazi, next to Elisha all the time. How could two in the same camp have very different visions, have very different hopes and very different perspectives? This servant wasn't the man of God that the enemy soldier was warning the king of Syria about. Elisha was that man of God. There's very real concern for the fearful, but not for those watching God. Not for those who study the word of God and the history of God and see his deliverance time and time again. Four days late for Lazarus, but Lazarus came forth. God's timing's way better than ours. It fills us with dread and fear when we don't see him come when we want him to. But those watching and following God, they walk through waters as dry land while their enemies are utterly consumed behind them. Gamaliel says it can't be overthrown if it's of God. Listen to what Elisha says to the servant in verses 16 through 17 of 2 Kings 6, and then we'll move to the second point. He says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. This is the power for the watching. As they're in the midst of persecution, Elisha is not in less danger physically than the servant. He's with him, surrounded by the enemy. And yet the power that's granted under him, the power which is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of God is revealed by Psalm 25, says that God has outnumbered the enemy. He says, it says in the text, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, annihilate the enemy. No, he doesn't say that. Open his eyes. Elisha's prayers for the servant. Now, if we were to look at this battle on a map, we'd say, the enemy's right here. Elijah and the servant are right here. They don't have any hope. And if Elijah has one wish to rub the lamp and the genie pops out, why would he wish for the servant to see? It might be more merciful to wish for him to not see. That way he doesn't have any more fear. But did the Lord Jesus go to the cross so we wouldn't see? And so that we would have no more fear? We would just be bludgeoned to death by our enemies? No. He came to the cross so we would see. He came to the cross so that we would have a great comforter, as in Acts 1.8, the powerful promise. 
He says, uh, it, it says in the text, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, beloved. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Well, shucks. Shucks. Indeed. There be more with them than against them. That's the same today. Whatever the Lord's calling you to right now, Jesus is standing sword in hand, ready to bring it to pass. And if he's not calling you to it, then he's not there with a sword. You're answering a different calling. There's great power for us against persecution, but it cannot be seen for the force of fear that we allow in our hearts. The second point is the power for the working. The power for the working. All who are born again have been commissioned to work. Let none convince himself that he is entitled to the blessings of God who are unwilling to share the good news of his mercies. Online, I'm about to get a bunch of amens, but not in here. Even if you're a part-time Berea Baptist Church member, of which you've never been baptized under part-time membership, but you live as though you're part-time, you have been called to work. Well, that's, that's not fair. Well, it really isn't. Because those who are here all the time currently do all the work. They currently do all the voting. They currently do all the leadership that perhaps you grumble about. They carry the weight of the work of the Lord in Mantachi, Mississippi. And you do not. Some are thinking, well, I know who he's talking about. Do you? We've got visitors who are here way more than some members. Perhaps the Lord's after them today. Perhaps the Lord's after my children and my children alone. They don't miss services, and yet they're not all saved. It's a hard thing, the amount of mission works that we have. And it's an admirable thing to have gone so long without a pastor and carry that work. But one thing Derek and I have learned is Chris did a lot of it. And while that's an amazing testimony to Chris, it's a miserable testimony to others. That's sad. You may throw me out today. You need to hear this. The work won't continue magically without effort. This blessing, this power is for the working. We do not have time to fear when we are focused on the work at hand. I've had some this, just in the past year say, did you see so-and-so and such-and-such and this thing happening? What are we going to do? And I've had the luxury of saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've been too busy. And that's not a complaint. I'm glad. I don't know that yet another white cop shot another black person in Ohio. I'm glad that I'm not losing sleep, that there's still sin in the world. It's not because I'm ignorant. This tells me there's sin in the world. This tells me that at the second death, all of that shall burn and perish in the lake of fire. I know when it will end, when God says so, because he is able. And I believe in that and have confidence in that because I'm working. I'm focused on what God has for me. With that being said, let me refer you to a very real power that resides in the believer. When the apostles sought of Jesus in the beginning of Acts chapter 1 that he might reveal the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, his response is in verse 7 and 8. But before I read it, think about what the apostles have been through at this point. Jesus went to the cross and many of them abandoned him. John's the only one who was at the foot of that cross. Simon Peter followed afar off but denied, denied, and denied. Their testimony crumbled. Jesus came back. I bet they thought they were in trouble. I bet there was at least a couple of them that thought, oh, man, I hope he doesn't bring up the fact that I wasn't there. I wasn't there that day. I wasn't there that day when Derek and Mandy revealed their big news. I wasn't there that day when Clark asked for prayer because his mother was dying. I wasn't there that day when the sitters found out that Zeb had RSV. And I didn't pray for him. I hope nobody brings that up because I didn't know. But that's not what he said. Now they're, they're praying that he'll reveal restoration. 
Oh, before you leave, tell us when you're coming back. We do that with our favorite house guests, do we not? Before you go, can I just get you to commit when you're coming back? When I'll see you again. Jesus says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Ghost, the great comforter. You know when you need comfort most? When you're tired, when you're heavy laden, when you've labored. The comforter wasn't necessarily sent to take care of those who are already comfortable. And the physician didn't come to heal those who didn't believe themselves to be sick. Boy, that rings true for the Israelites, and it rings true for us today. Many would say, I don't have need of a good, great physician or even a good physician. I'm pretty healthy. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't have need of a comforter, but I'll keep him in my back pocket should things get tough. Things should be tough all the time. You should be such a witness that there's not a day you wake up and Satan's not all over you. But how many of us can say that? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, but you wouldn't see mine go up. That's what we're to be doing, even more so as the day approaches. Even more so as the day approaches. This power is somewhat like a weather radio. I don't know if you've ever had one. They either need to be cranked or wound so that the little light will come on so the radio stations can come in. There's great power there, but like wine, the grapes have to be smashed. To get the fruit, they has to be worked. This power resides as a great comforter. It has a great many works to do that we won't get into the, 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 the full listing of here today, but it's the power for the working. Lastly, the power for the weary. One of the greatest lessons our Lord ever taught was how to forgive, and we talked about this a lot two Sundays ago. We think we know it because we've received it, but if uh, it's a continual lesson. It's one of those ifs, forgiveth. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I shall forgive him, till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not until unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. It is an F. It is a continual process. It is a continual teaching that you are teaching those that you have truly forgiven. It's not merely the words. It's the actual forgiving. And that actual forgiving will make you weary. It's hard dealing with heavy hearts. It's hard dealing with your own heavy heart. But there's times where you will be called to forgive someone that's really hard to forgive. And your heart will literally break in the process. And Simon Peter, and we've mentioned this before, when he offered to forgive seven times, uh, he was offering to do better than the leaders of the synagogue were even requiring. He probably thought of himself as a hero, as many times we can read Simon Peter to sound. I'll never forsake thee. I'll never reject thee. They should not crucify you. I won't allow it. I will forgive seven times. It's pretty good, right? Simon Peter. He would have been the Captain America of, the, of Jesus' story. He would have been the hero, the leader. Until Jesus, once again, listen, Simon Peter. The devil seeks to shred you like wheat. <laughs> There's, I can't help myself every time I say that first. Rebecca knows it's coming. Shredded Pete, like shredded wheat. Jesus says that. The devil seeks to sift you like wheat. You're not as mighty as you think you are, Simon Peter. What do you need to do? What does he tell him to do? Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Work. Do you love me? Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Feed the sheep. Do you love me? Be faithful. Do you love me? Work. That's what Jesus tells Simon Peter, who is so high and mighty that he's willing to forgive seven times. Jesus says, good. Keep going. Keep forgiving. Matthew 5, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, verses 43 through 48 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You're going to have a heavy heart. 
You do what the Lord says there. That's not easy. That's not easy at all. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect be ye holy for he is holy be ye perfect for he is perfect it's repeated again in Romans 12 14 bless them which persecute you bless and curse not beloved if you've not found yourself in any of these three points the watching the working and the weary I have to challenge you to make your calling and election sure. I'm not going to walk around and collect your Berean membership cards. We are all called to make our election and calling sure. Sometimes that reveals that we aren't saved, that we have a most desperate need. It's better for that revelation than a continual comfort in something that's not true. Do you love him? Do you love the Lord Jesus more than you disdain anything else do you love the Lord Jesus more than father and mother do you love the Lord Jesus more than you dislike the drive to the church building more than you dislike your pew in this church sit somewhere else if that's what it is it's not that hard Satan also seeks to sift you like wheat for some he can do it roaring loudly like a lion because you're not watching you're not prepared. You don't bear the armor. You might have a uniform on, but it isn't God's. Anybody ever seen one of them sickles? They are designed for one swift... I've never seen an image of somebody uh, sifting wheat with one of them sickles and having to go... in the same spot because the wheat won't fall. The wheat just goes. It just goes. It's dried out. There's no life in it. Nothing keeping it rooted. And that's why Satan seeks to sift it. This will be an easy day. I'm going to sift the backfields of Mantachi, where the gospel hasn't been delivered and where people call themselves church members though they don't really know what it means. I should be back before lunch, he says to his minions. Wait up for me. I'll see you at Los Cabos. They're dried out. There's no life. They won't fight back. It's always a conundrum to me that he can roar as a lion and still overtake his prey. He's not trying to sneak up on him. And then 2020 happened. How many are still under the illusion that we're a Christian nation? How many are still persuaded that things aren't that bad? As the lion roars louder and louder, they don't see it. They're not watching, working, they're not weary. They're comfortable. They're playing games. I used to love playing games. It's been years since I've been able to play games. Why? Because I'm watching, I'm working. As the day approaches, I don't have a need for a PlayStation. I don't have a need for games. I want more truth, more reality, more church services, more Bible. I don't only want it, I need it, because there's times I don't want it, so I need it. Until I have no time left in which I don't want it, I need it. Where are you with this message? Have you tasted this power for the persecuted? Have you experienced it? Have you been in such intense circumstances in which you've known beyond a shadow of a doubt the armies of God far outnumbered your enemies? The Lord illustrates in his word the power that was made possible by the cross. He says in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27, and this is where we'll close. He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? When you read that word life, you can put in their livelihood. It means more than that, but you can put in their livelihood. You're protecting your livelihood. You're making sure your bank's doing real good. There are so many practical cyber ways for you to lose that nest egg and go through all the fussing and the fighting that I'm sure Lindsay could help us through with banks to try and get the money back, but it's not secure. You've put your treasures in bags with holes and rusty buckets when it should be placed in gaunt. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. What got Pastor so fired up today? It's that verse. It's that last couple of verses right there. Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Depart from me. I never knew thee. Depart from me. You know what he says there, what the world wants to reject and deny, and I promise we'll close. Depart from me. I don't love you. Can we handle that in 2022 while everybody's preaching that God loves everybody? He does not. His scripture does not say that. Depart from me. I never loved you. I never foreknew you before the foundation of the world. Go read Ephesians 1. Your security is in a bag with holes. It's falling out around you. You're going to be angry at this preacher today. What is the state of your soul? What is the condition of your heart? Is it ever focused on Christ Jesus? Is it ever mindful of where you ought to be? Is it the driving purpose for you being here today? I beg you, don't leave this room if it's not. Don't leave this room. I'll dismiss everybody to lunch. They can go if they're secure. You stay, you yell at me. You stay, you fight. Fight for this weak foundation that you believe you have. Because if you're not willing to stay and stand and fight, you know you have no foundation. You know you need Christ Jesus. And he might be coming today. It's 6.04 on a Friday. Who's ready to go home? I know, you're ready for lunch. But you get the metaphor. We have for far too long as Baptists toddled away, patted people on the back because we're just so happy to see people in the church house. It's not my calling to make sure there's people in the church house. It's my calling to present the gospel, to present the only way for salvation, which is Christ Jesus. Preaching, Strong's gives another definition, another word that can be used there is disputing. If your foundation conflicts with the word of God, you should be really angry at this message. Will you stay and defend yourself? Will you stay and fight for what you believe? Or is today the day of repentance? Is today the day? Before the Jews start their 10 days of it, is today the day? Will you recognize you're not where you ought to be? You're backslidden. Let's see how much shame there really is in being a backslider. If, if, if you're here and you're a church member, I asked if you've ever backslidden in your entire life, you go ahead and stand up. I want to illustrate how much shame there is. I'm already standing. If you're here, born again, and you've ever backslidden, Rebecca's raising her hand. It's the same for her because she's got the baby. Beloved, backsliding is defined by not being as close to the Lord as you once were. It's happened to all of us. I don't bring shame upon you. And I assure those who are standing up, you can sit down, that you don't know who I'm referencing. You think you do, but you do not. 
It'll be easier to get along with each other. It'll be easier to accomplish the will of God, easier to tithe, easier to love, easier to commit to the works of God, to serve Mandy's family this Saturday, to pray for the revival in Olmstead next week. All these things will be made easier if you get right with him today. I beg you. I beg you. I was saved at 15, and I backslid so many times since 15. And my life didn't really truly begin until Isaac was four, when I finally went before the church and said, I'm not who I've pretended to be. I'm saved, but I don't live like I should. Next thing I know, the Lord moves us closer to that church and causes for us to be there way more than we were ever comfortable with before. I'm asked to teach. The Lord calls me to preach. This isn't a victory story. I'm not the hero of that tale. Jesus is. There was nothing good in me to be used. Nothing. I mean, Rebecca could tell you probably the first three lessons I taught the young adults was about Moses and his dumb tongue because that's where I was. I can't be used. I can't be used. I can't be relied upon. But God is able. God is able and he intends to present us faultless. Whatever you're going through right now, he will iron it out. It'll burn off as an impurity. Come back to the Lord. Be faithful. Maybe today's going to be the first day you've been faithful to God. It don't matter what anybody else's opinion is. I know it's harder when most of the room's family. doesn't matter what their opinion is. You probably don't really know how they'd feel about it anyways. What an amazing thing that the creator of the universe cause for his son to be 100% man and 100% God, to go through the same temptations that we went through and never buckle, to go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice and lay it all out. He says from the cross to Steve Kaiser, it is finished. He says from the cross to me, it is finished. Most of my youth as a Catholic, I kept thinking there's got to be one more thing. Got to be one more thing. I was an altar boy. My first job was at the church, cleaning the church, cleaning the Sunday school building. I sang in the choir. I was a cantor. I had my eyes set on even being one of those Eucharistic ministers. Because there's got to be more than I can do. This sermon's not about getting saved. You're not working for it. But it is about the faithfulness of the saved. Do you love him? Do you yet believe?